If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Dr. Erica here. It's time for a new episode of Better with Dr. Erica. Now, this episode focuses on mentorship, advocacy, and the importance of being in the room. My guest is the fabulous Dr. Tracy Hermanstein. Now, she is an assistant professor in the Department of Developmental Biology at Washington University in St. Louis at their School of Medicine. She's also the president of the National Panhellenic Council of St. Louis and a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. But y'all, sometimes she just is real quiet about this. She is a real-life neuroscientist. Yes, she is, and you're not going to want to miss a moment of this conversation. Now, the questions this episode will answer includes, number one, why does there need to be more underrepresented minorities in STEM? Number two, how can mentorship and sponsorship make a big difference in your career? Number three, what can you do to assist your personal and professional development? Number four, what are examples of things that African-American Greek letter organizations do other than party and wear cool colors? Now, no matter where you are in your career, this episode is something for you, along with reasons you need to continue to grow as an ally. We talk about so many things, even about looking out for your mental health so that you can have that better life that we always talk about. So, you know, we'll have some shareable moments. Let me tell you how we do it in Better Nation. All you do is put the shareable tidbit on any social media and just use the hashtag Better Nation. It's that easy. So rather than me talking about it, let's be about it. On to the episode. Better with Dr. Erica. Hey, y'all. It is Dr. Erica, and welcome to this episode of Better with Dr. Erica. You know me. I'm Dr. Erica. I already said that, didn't I? But in case you don't know much about me, I am a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist and host of this hit podcast, Better with Dr. Erica, that you are listening to right now. I'm extremely passionate about helping people be better, do better, and live better. I do that through my adult telepsychiatry, my books, including Fix Your Fairy Tale, A Woman's Guide to a Great Life and Legacy, my speaking, and this podcast. I do all this to help busy people like you that show up for work, you show up for your friends, you show up for your family, you show up for literally everybody, but you don't show up for yourselves. And sometimes you turn around and realize nobody's showing up for you either. I do all of this to help put you back in your life. Now you are going to want to stay on every moment because you know what? I'm going to say it before I even say her name. I, I'm just so proud because I don't know many. I have an actual 
black female neuroscientist? <laughs> um, she doesn't like to lead with it. I'm sorry. I'm leading with it because I don't know that many of them. She is a PhD level neuroscientist, y'all. You know what that says? She is smart as crap, but she's fun. She like finds the best TikToks ever is great dinner company. She's also my store. So she's a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. She is all of the things. And I am so excited to bring her here. And then you're going to be able to say, you know, a black neuroscientist too. <laughs> so I just want you to be able to be down in the crew like that. So let me tell you a little bit more about her other than the fact that she's black and AKA and has a background as a PhD level neuroscientist. Now, you know, I said, I don't do full bios. That's not my ministry season three. We are not doing that. So I just, am going to tell you a couple of tidbits and then I'm going to let her take it away. So the short version is, is we already said she has a PhD in freaking neuroscience. She's an assistant professor y'all at Washington university school of medicine. Really? Seriously? Yes, seriously. Yes, she is. She does all of the things. She is doing all of these things to improve the equity and inclusion in STEM. I just can't, I just can't say everything she does because she just does so much. So Dr. Tracy Hermanstein. Now, doesn't her name sound important? Like she should be running running an entire university or like the queen of someplace. I think there should be a Dr. Tracy Hermanstein being the queen of Wakanda or Zamunda, something like that. It just feels like it should happen. But welcome to the pod. And can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, <laughs> Dr. Erica. You know, when I met you, I, I think we vibed instantly. And um, I just want to thank you personally for inviting me and allowing me to uh, tell my story. Um, in short, I, I am a neuroscientist. I got my PhD from the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Um, and then I moved to uh, St. Louis to do my postdoctoral training at Washington University St. Louis School of Medicine. And then I stayed on and I am currently a faculty member. I'm at the level of assistant professor in the Department of De Developmental Biology. And on my on my research side, I'm, I, I study circadian rhythms. So I'm the one who's interested in why you wake up at the time you get up, why you go to bed. Um, all our cells are pretty much are regulated by our brain's clock, um, which mo modulates our sleep, heart rhythms, any kind of physiology you can think of, the clock is usually involved. And so I study at a basic science level, wanting to know what goes on at a normal condition and what happens in a pathophysiological condition and particularly as it concerns to diseases. And more importantly, or more specifically, I study the ion channels that regulate those neurons why, and their behaviors of it. So that's what I do as my scientific side. And then the other part of me, um, I have moved in. It was a huge jump. I was scared, but I moved into the administration field, particularly administration and leadership in terms of DE&I um, 
attributes in terms of STEM education, both at the graduate level, PhD level, all the way into the undergraduate level. And I have to tell you, it was the best jump I did, but I was scared to take that jump because I felt that I would no longer be a neuroscientist, right? I I trained that Mm -hmm. way. I went into, you know, everything was leading. I was going to run a lab. I was going to do all of these things. And then when you are one of the few in these spaces and you have students that come in behind you that are looking, they don't care what, what discipline, Mm -hmm. it was another black person that was at this level and it just became a calling and I just was doing it before I actually got paid to do it. And so um, it was a long war. It was a long devotion with myself, with figuring out and I took the jump and it was the, I have to tell you, Erica, it was the uh, best decision that I ever made. And before I, you know, close with my, with the rest of it, one thing, I went to Howard University, so I'm a bison. You know, I was really about to say that I'm like, we can't not give a shout out to the bison. The bison. To, to all the, the real HU, as they say, you know, I'm, I'm not highly invested. I didn't go to Howard or Hampton, but. But I am, I am a bison. And, um, and then of, of course you, you've mentioned of, of our beloved sorority. I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, more specifically, um, Gamma Omega chapter here in St. Louis. So, yes. Well, you just said such a mouthful. I just feel all warm. <laughs> Uh, all warm and fuzzy and y'all before we started officially taping we were discussing the wonderful rejuvenation of the staycation and I think it works great you know you've been working with circadian rhythms and the pathophysiology of circadian rhythms and how they also one of the hugest ways that everything ends up being all janky is with stress so I love the fact that you just did a staycation staycations rock it does (laughs) it does and so you just get to, because sometimes, as you know, you go on vacations, that's stress in itself. You're planning it, you're over planning, and you come back more tired than when you left. And so um, I thought it was just a perfect way to just reconnect and, and just kind of, you know, get yourself grounded again. So. Indeed. And y'all, you know, there's, there are two huge reasons why staycations may be the jam right now. Number one, the airplane flight game is a hot disaster right now with the increased cost of plane tickets along with the chaos with the cancellations because you don't quite know if you can get where you're going. The other is the cost of gas is outrageous. So this is actually a wonderful time to start reconsidering the staycation. And I've talked about it before. There are so many different ways to do them. You can do them actually where you chill out at the crib. You can do them a lot of times. I'll go to a hotel and stay at a hotel but I love the idea of having some options if it's going to be too much either hustle and bustle with travel, too much unpredictably in chaos or stress, or if you're in a place where that's just not where you want to put your budget, because sometimes it's, you know, funds are running low. Sometimes it's you're building a business or you're doing something else or you're saving for your house and you just aren't trying to spend a lot of money. But I think staycations are like, they're like the best kept secret. I feel like they are the bomb. It is when I, and, and when I got to the idea, cause I was originally supposed to go somewhere. And then I said, stay home. My whole spirit changed. I was like, yes, <laughs> just stay home. Mm-hmm. Just anything, so. and, and y'all, you can't see, she is literally glowing. Like <laughs> she is straight up glowing. If, if you could see this, I, sometimes I wish I kept video and 
Sometimes I am like, no, I don't want to be camera ready. But y'all, she's glowing. So this vacation did her totally right. So just out of curiosity, because I don't know a ton of neuroscientists, especially I don't know hardly, I don't know that many black ones. Then on top of that, I don't know that many black female neuroscientists. How did you even end up interested in doing neuroscience? Oh, so I, you know, I, I tell this story and, uh, and I hope it will uh, inspire someone. So I always knew I was going to be a science in the science field. I thought I was going to be a physician. It was, it was the one thing I knew when I left my, I was going to be a doctor. I went to Howard. And then, you know, when I got to Howard, I had a, a little bit of a rude awakening. I wasn't the smartest person anymore. Mm. I was completely being challenged it was a completely different, it was a different world to not use the pun. Um, growing up in um, Brooklyn, New York, I, and I'm Caribbean background, my parents are from the Caribbean. Um, I had this very nestle of what a population of Black people were, right? All my friends came from the Caribbean diaspora. And then when I got to Howard, I was like, wait a minute, there's Black people from Wisconsin, from this, and they were so competitive. And I, I didn't do as well as I thought I needed to do. And I, and I can be very mm-hmm. honest about that. But I, I was very determined and I knew I wanted to go to med school. So, of course, I took the, you know, at that time, now they're calling it gap years. I had a few gap years and I had to reground myself. And I was lucky enough at my senior year at Howard to get a, dis, a, a job at um, NIH, National Institute. Okay. And I was, a, at that time, what they called it, I was a grant um, special assistant. So I helped the um, the SRAs. I forget what they, they don't call them that anymore. But these are the people, PhD level people, who are in a particular field, and um, depending on where the the grants are coming from, they run study sections. So most of the federal dollars that go into our research come out of NIH, right? Okay. And how it does it, it gets viewed and um, scored by your peers. So your peers look at what your research is, what you're trying to do, what your program is, and it gets scored. And you have someone in NIH who coordinates that. And I was an assistant to a coordinator. And I happened to be in the neuroscience pain field. And I said, in my mind, PhD was nowhere near there, but I ended up starting reading the grants. And they were so mm-hmm. interesting. And, you know, and I will go and I will see how they will triage, you know, do things, how they score and, and things like that. And then I made my decision by a year and a half into it that I wanted to go back into research, get in the lab, kind of get my feet wet. And I happened by pure luck, but I always say when you're ready and it's time to move, things will start to open up for you. I interviewed with one of the um, reviewers or experts in my study section. Wow. And we basically walked out. I didn't even recognize his name when I went there. And we walked in, we looked at each other. He looked at me. And for the first 20 minutes of our interview, we know each other. We know each other. And then we figured out, you know, where it was. Mm. And then he looked at me and he said, I'm going to hire you on the spot. I didn't know what a neuron was. (laughs) I didn't even know how they all worked. I just knew that they were cells. And he said, if you work for me and 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 I will train you and we will figure out what your next steps are. So I worked for him in his lab for a lab. Uh, I became his lab manager for a little over three years. As a tech manager, I actually wrote my first manuscript. I was a, one of the first authors. Like he really put my own project wow. on me. And I looked at him and I said, it's time for me to apply to grad school. And he was like, go for it. And he, to this day, 
He is now full professor at, Pitt, at Pittsburgh now. Um, he looks at me. He said, you're the best student I never had. <laughs> you're oh, the best I, I love it. And I love how this story just under, it really, I don't say underscores. This is that moment where that one concussion gets you. I don't know how people have multiple concussions because every once in a while I have a brief word finding issue. I had one concussion. How wow. these folks have a bunch of concussions. <laughs> I, I don't know. Cause I'm like this one concussion every once in a while. I'm like, I'm glad I have a good vocabulary. Cause every once in a while I'm looking for a word. Like right now I'm like, mm. we'll just say, I love how what you said truly emphasizes the value of having mentors and sponsors. Yep. Yep. This was exactly that. And then when I applied um, and I got into it, uh, I didn't know, you know, what part of neuroscience I got into, but I was working in the pain field. Um, particularly, um, I was working with sex differences and pain, which, which, mm -hmm. which, he was a channel lab, an ion channel lab. He studied sodium channels. And then I knew I kind of wanted, I wanted to stay in sex differences, but I didn't want to particularly stay in pain. But I, when I got into grad school, I met another young, he was a, a new PI, a new assistant professor at University of Maryland. And he was studying a potassium channel. It was in a sleep area. He knew nothing about it. So it was my mm -hmm. chance to really soar in this area and put in a lot of work in a particular channel that really was at the time, or I mean, for the most part, understudied. And so I got into sleep and then um, my PhD was in doing with sleep physiology. And then I, I jumped into doing circadian rhythms as a postdoc and I stayed on with that. So that's my story of, of how I got here. The path wasn't straight. Um, I had all intentions of, of applying to med school because you, at that moment, yeah. but I, um, when I when I got into the PhD program, but I just loved, I fell in love with the art of discovery, the art of asking questions, the art of the why, what's next if it doesn't work. I fell in love with the fact that 80% of the things I do are not going to work, but that 20, oh my God, that 20 is so exhilarating. So I think that, um, and, and that's when I see with people I know who really are into research, you see that spark. The next oh, question, yeah. the next one, what you want to ask, how is it going to improve? That was what I fell in love about science. And so. Oh, I'm, I'm so thrilled. I, I will hold for a moment. I was thinking, hey, I want to do a joke. Do you regret <laughs> not becoming a doctor? But I was like, I won't even do that. Because <laughs> this, I love being a doctor, but this stuff is a hot, that medicine is a little janky right now. So I'm sure there are times when COVID was going on, you're like, well, COVID's still going on, but earlier in COVID, you're probably like, oh, I'm so glad I got my doctor the other way and got a PhD and don't have to sit around hoping someone gives me an N95 so I don't die. <laughs> well, it's funny you said that it was COVID that allowed me to jump officially. Mm -hmm. COVID allowed me to reset, but because of course we had to shut the labs down, but um, when the COVID when the, the height of the pandemic was happening and the universities didn't know what to do, but I was only shut down for about five weeks. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, we had to figure out, cause you can't do science in your living room. Right. And we had students that were here. Oh, you can't, you can't you get can. like the little science kits like back in the day. And you, you, you can't, can't put a, centri a centrifuge right next to your air fryer. I couldn't keep the brain slice alive. I, I couldn't do it. The, you know, it was just, one nah, of you know, you don't have an extra fridge and you're, you know, 
in your in your uh, garage and be like next to these. Let me put some pipettes next to my knives. You know. <laughs> well, we we definitely and, and I did we did have some issues with um, our students not doing well during COVID. So mm-hmm. that was definitely a huge. Um, issue, especially when you were dealing with medical students and the graduate students. The undergraduate students, they can stay home, right? But when you have graduate students who are already here, they have to mm-hmm. be here, the medical students, it was it was something that we had to keep in mind. So I was back at work after five weeks, but it was, of course, you know, we had to, um, I was at 30%, then I, you know, increased to 50. But it, it was during the pandemic that I have to say that the leap became because I started doing a lot of soul searching. And um, and a lot of what was making me happy. And although I can tell you that the, the discovery process of science is still in me, um, mm-hmm. I, I transferred some of those skills into administrative leadership work. And so um, it's a different ball of wax, but it's still thinking, it's still being innovative, it's still listening. Um, and it's and it, it gave me an opportunity to be at the table and give my my input and personal um, experiences to students who look like me. So, and coming up. Well, and I, I love the fact that you were able to shift and to be able to utilize this passion for diversity and equity and inclusion in these other areas. Because I remember, I remember being in med school and it, if I sit and think of how many basic science people that I even interacted with that were black when I wasn't doing something at Morehouse School of Medicine. Cause I went to med school actually at Emory. Okay. I, I can't even hardly remember a lecture given by someone black that wasn't clinical. Oh, wow. I, I you know, I had some basic scientists that were black in my other part of my education. Cause I was at Spelman. So, you know, all of our professors, were PhD levels and, you know, they were black, but just like being in other environments, it just doesn't seem like they're, we're not as highly represented. So I'm definitely thankful that you've taken that passion because I know so many people that I've talked to that were in like PhD programs that things just went sideways because they just didn't have that support and didn't have someone else in the room. And to be quite honest with you, my 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 mentor, my 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 um, one of my current bosses, um, I, I went to work for her at WashU because I wanted to work for her renowned scientist, um, channel biologist, and she said, if this is easy, everyone can do it, right? And she so so it's already a challenge to to have and to stay in these fields, to be an MD, to be a PhD, to do those things, and, and when you put race. And when you put your gender involved, when when it, it feels like it's an all, sometimes an all boys club, and you don't feel like you are surrounded, and you know the imposter system is already going to be, you know, those things are already built in there because you are competitive. You you, you got to know that mm-hmm. you got to write, you got to be to get the grant money. There's almost so much resources that go around. I remember when I was working at NIH, the funding level was at twenty percent. It's nowhere near that. It's nowhere mm-hmm. near that, so it's 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 lower, and there's and there's more people in the game. So I think you have to have a voice there to say, look, this is not working. Just because you invite us here doesn't make that the the home is welcoming. 
right? You know, people say, well, we increased the numbers of people, students of color to come here. Well, that's great. But then what about the graduation rate? <laughs> you know, you know, mm-hmm. or in, but less is coming out. And, and if they are coming out, they're coming out, um, you know, resentful. They leave science altogether. They go somewhere else. So we're, we're, the, the numbers that are somehow coming in are not reflective at the higher levels and things like that. So, And I think that's both at the clinical and the um, basic research side. All through STEM, yeah. Oh my God, this is a great conversation. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more conversation from my amazing guest and yours truly on Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for Ask Dr. Erica. Now, I was recently on a panel for the Atlanta chapter of the National Association of Health Service Executives, and they asked me about what kind of things do I do for self-care? Now, I'm going to give you a tidbit that I realized I didn't even share with them. Is one thing that is really important, and I was actually having a conversation with another panelist before this started. We do accountability partners for so much. We do it for business. We'll do it for working out. We may do it for diet, but I'm a fan of doing it for self-care. I remember right before taping the podcast episode with Dr. Chantrell Crawford, we actually talked about becoming accountability partners for self-care. And I believe that's a secret way well, secret because people don't talk about it, of making yourself more accountable for pouring into yourself, especially as far as self-care goes, is have an accountability partner. We have accountability partners for everything else we do. It's time to start getting accountability partners for all of those things that are going to help put you back in your life. They're going to help build you as a human being. Those things that are going to improve your experience on this earth. It's time. So that's it. Get an accountability partner for your self-care. Now back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. When did you realize that this starting to get this table a little bit more equitable was a passionate enough to switch from just advocating in the in-between time? <laughs> to really, well, I mean, because I think for for a lot of people, especially um, people that identify as African American, there's a level of advocating that a lot of us do that's not necessarily always part of our primary profession, or you know, it ends up being kind of like advocating as a side gig, like I'm gonna yeah. try to get to this meeting and, and tell them A, B, and C, you know, versus when that becomes more of your primary profession. What what do you think inspired you to go ahead and and go from advocating because I think you were always an advocate. So I guess yeah. when did you just what really pushed you to go from I'm just going to be an advocate in this space to just really just putting your fingers out and just really stepping all the way into that. I know that was a long version of the same question. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't seem to get it out. Well, so to be honest, so when I came to Wash U in 2017, you you have the, the there's a time limit on your training as a postdoc, and it's five years. I got to the end of my postdoc, and I wasn't. It was the first time in my science career I wasn't ready to take the jump, which was the jump was mm-hmm. get your own lab, leave, and start. I didn't want to do it, and I and and I was struggling 
with, I didn't want to do it because I can't wash you to want to do that. And, and so it was a lot of, and I think my boss and a couple of other, my mentors and or sponsors recognize it. Like when I tell you I got it, I went after grants, awards, like people were asking me to apply. Like I was, Mm -hmm. I was ready. And I just was like, Nope, (laughs) I just didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I was doing things um, when I first started, like I taught a freshman class, um, which was called Eureka for underrepresented um, incoming first year students who wanted to get, who were interested in PhDs. And I taught that for five years. And then to having students come back to me and saying, thank you. I made a decision one way or another, but this class helped me. Or, you know, being able to do little things of... Um, I'm, I was always uh, a, a part of pretty much a lot of um, nonprofit organizations. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I, I used to be just just working for nonprofits. Now I'm I am a board member for two, and a former board member of one. And then allowing and watching these kids in St. Louis not have the resources that they needed just to pass their math classes, mm-hmm. their classes. So I just will simply ask a, a colleague of mine or something, you know, how could, could we get this to work? Can we do this? Can we provide free of charge tutoring? And so I started doing these things and not realizing that I was in the advocacy oh. space, right? And of course, the, the famous black tax, right? Um, they they think that you're well Tracy will do it or such and such will do it and which is why a lot of people in in our levels don't want to go into it because it's taking away from yeah. their um, how they're going to um, progress promote um, their merit all those things that they want to do so I was very hesitant about it because I realized that I wasn't getting paid but it was so rewarding to do it like just being able to to, to talk to a student and say this and to say that. So the opportunity came where my boss looked at me and said, Tracy, you need to figure out how we're going to do both. There's no plan for it. And there wasn't. There was, there's no plan for students or trainees who want to kind of do both, switch, administrative, whatever it is. You want to go into policy. There was, there's not a straight plan in academia. But I utilized and I utilized my, my network at WashU. And I, and she, and the one thing she told me, which I still think was the best advice, she told me, and you need to take a business course. You got to mm-hmm. learn leadership because they don't teach you this in training. And I did that at the Olin Business School. Um, I took a course and I, I negotiated a position for me. And I was like, in my head, sis, you just asked your chair to blah, blah, blah. I said, I shortly did. But it's, I'm already at a no. So it was only the best thing to ask. And I negotiated with my, my, my other boss. Uh, she's a vice provost. So I have my, 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 two of my positions are in the provost office. And, um, and, and I said, and, and it just kind of worked that way. But I realized that if you want me at the table, if you, you value my experience, both my philanthropic work in St. Louis, my scientific acuity, the relationships I build with students of color and with faculty, you have to pay me to do it. And so, um, and, and I pushed it in that, but that was the hardest thing, um, Erica, I have to say that I had to do because you don't, you're not taught that way. You know what I mean? You have to find this inner confidence of this, you know, sometimes this little black girl asking, yeah, you need to do this, you know? And, and it, it was hard for me to do that, but I just pushed forward 
and and negotiate it for myself. So that that and, and everyone knows the story. Or, or, or my close friends was like Tracy. It took me about a year to get it all together, mm-hmm. but by the year, by July of last year, it was in it was in writing, and I was moving forward. Yeah, I so. love all of that. <laughs> I mean. Because I feel like each field has like all the stuff that's in the back room that nobody knows about. And just the fact of, I don't know what the percentage of black PhDs it is. I'm sure it's not much better than black doctors. They're just, you just don't see a ton. Um, And I think sometimes we see the pockets and the ones that we people, either people we know, or if we're in cities like Atlanta, then you'll see people or places like, where Howard is or Spelman and Morehouse, but you know, it's all this stuff in the back door, which happens in so many fields at first it's being able to have access to the baseline education that'll even get you in school. Then it's access to the resources, you know, you need to do well, then accessing the right kinds of research opportunities and things so that you can get into grad school being able to have good mentors, people that are going to fight for you because, you know, I I know people that have entered PhD programs and didn't finish and it had nothing to do with how intelligent they were, you know, but just like any other experience, you know, if, if if nobody wants you to succeed, it's very difficult to succeed. And, and, and I have to tell you, and I teach this, you know, I, I do speak about this a lot, the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. Right. Um, And I have a lot of sponsors who my name is spoken in rooms that I don't, I'm not even in. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? And they're like, have you thought about, and that that was legitimately in some cases, how, you know, my roles and what I do at WashU, because someone said Tracy needs to be at this table. Right. And um, so I, I totally believe that I, I learned that lesson very early um, I have, I have sponsors in who are PhDs, who are more senior to, to I are all over the country that when I was getting promoted, to, you know, to, um, assistant professor and how, how, how Washu did it, you know, that I had to have all these letters. They were more than, they wanted to write mm-hmm. one of my, you know, one of the, the one who, um, my, um, the, um, the, the, the PI that I worked for at, when I started as a laboratory tech. He was upset that he wasn't on the list and he write a letter for you. And so, you know, so it, it, it's, it's always being able to, to, to honor those relationships, be honest with those relationships and being able to have that rapport. Like how I have rapport with my sponsors is completely different than how I have sometimes rapports with my mentor. Right. I, I, with my sponsors, I'm able to I feel more comfortable asking the stupid questions, you know, but there is a these there are unanswered protocol. I mean, sorry, on things that are going on, what you say in the back door that is not privy to us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not. And and I had to find out. Oh, this is how it does it. Or this is how it goes. Or, you know, and so I, I teach students that you have to ask use me as a resource. I'm going to, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to advise you to do something that I don't think is not in your best, in, in your, in, for you and moving on in, in your trajectory. But I, and I've had colleagues at other universities um, who are in different um, um, specialties and, and, and interests that we share our stories as black academia, a blacks and academic 
in academia that we share our stories about it, like, oh, this is how they do it. And we help each other. So it's, it's really opening up that, that rhetoric, that conversation among us and among the students and trainees that are behind us to know that this is what you can do or the possibilities that, that are in front of you. But we just don't know it, you know, in the, you know so I think that, that that's important. Well, I feel like it's just a blessing to be able to have you in the room because I just know so many people that their lives would be dramatically different if someone like you had been in the room. And so, and I thank you for that. And, 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 and I'm very thankful for the people who were in the room for me. And I remember the last talk I gave about this because we had a huge um, symposium at WashU about this. And I, and I, I was lucky enough to be invited as an inaugural speaker and I said, you see all these people who I call my mentors, particularly my mentors at Washington, not one of them are people of color. That has to change. Um, and so, and, and I said, and don't get me wrong. Every one of them has seen something in me and believed in me and challenged me and pushed me. But none of them of color, there were some women there, which I'm glad, mm. but none of them were people of color. And I think we need to start changing that landscape. Well, and I know you're in the position to start doing that with a lot of that work you're doing to help diversity, equity, and inclusion in STEM. And I love how aligned so many things that you do are as far as community-centered purpose. Now, I do want to shift gears briefly because there's another another kind of corner of the world that Dr. Tracy does a, a lot of really good work. And I I want to make sure that people start understanding that aren't in the world of, as we say, the divine nine or <laughs> sororities and fraternities that, that don't really understand the other work that these organizations do um, other than wear cute clothes and party, <laughs> you know, some people outside of it think that's all that happens that people wear colors, they make signs and they dance and they party and they think that's the whole of the experience. And um, she's also very active in her grad chapter and is also somebody happens to be the president of the national pan Hellenic council of St. Louis. <laughs> so can, can you just speak a little bit about, some of the ways that these organizations help the community. So as you know, as a fellow member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, um, and as well as the other eight organizations, our primary common mission together really is to be of service. Um, we come together, we either do it as individual organizations, chapters, or with the PAN, we come together in a collective and um, and each chapter, each organization have their own themes according to their national um, um, programming of being of help and of service. Um, with the MPAC of St. Louis, I have been. It, it has been an honor to serve as their um, in their their current president. I'm only six months into my two year term, but. Um, and being able to bring about 14 chapters here, alumni chapters here in St. Louis, which equals about, you know, the numbers are growing every day, but we're a little more, almost 3,000 active members, wow. active, active members in St. Louis. And being able to help 
along with the tradition, because the MPHC of St. Louis is strong. It's um, it's dating. It's over 40 years strong. And the power of the collective that we go out and we have programming where we bring now all nine organizations, which equal 14 chapters here in St. Louis, together to do work and 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 to help with scholarly achievement you know during my administration now i'm 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 mostly interested in um wanting to get scholarly achievement of course going because our we are educated people mm-hmm. of color um through our nine organizations but i'm also very much so interested in the, the black economic dollar and strengthening that and mm-hmm. so and what we can do to help each other, deny members who own their businesses and as well as other um, black owned businesses. So we are we are working uh, collaboratively with a lot of organizations, um, in particular, the Urban League of St. Louis, um, the, the NAACP, St. Louis County Chapter, um, other um, organizations that are some mostly run ran by other D9 members. Uh, we are looking to work with them to 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 enhance and to support them in whatever they need for our community here in St. Louis. I love all of that. <laughs> now, I, I know my listeners in Better Nation are probably wondering, hey, Dr. Erica, you're a psychiatrist. Does any of this have to do with mental health? So what I would say is all of this technically does because one of the things that happens and, you know, I also in my, I don't know if all of you all know, my original degree is actually, um, was originally going to be biochemistry and we had a little, little mishap happen in PCHEM where I got a D after a breakup. No. I know. So I ended up finishing it with a chemistry degree. So I technically used to be a chemist. and used to do bench research for some companies that will remain nameless especially given that uh everybody doesn't like them anymore they were good back in the day (laughs) is that number one getting into stem itself can be a little bit rigorous Mm -hmm. um all of us that have done it in college know how it was when everybody else was kicking it and we all went to I'll speak for my age. I went to college at a time where the cafeteria was not open 24 hours a day and there was not food on campus all the time. And it historically was this issue that we'd all have labs through meals (laughs) and you'd be getting bagged lunches or trying to figure out how you're going to make it work. Because I remember Kim lab one year was during G Kim lab was during dinner and you know, the, the struggle could be real. But the thing I'd say is in some of these fields, when the field itself is difficult, you don't always have the same amount of support when you're coming out. Because I was fortunate, somebody was asking me a question yesterday, I was told him I did have some level of privilege, because my, I grew up around a bunch of engineers and chemists. Mm-hmm. So I saw a lot of scientists growing up, black scientists, I witnessed it. And when you're in all of these environments, and there are a million reasons why people don't want you there. I've been in situations where people didn't want me there. Is that that's tough on anybody's mental health. That there's not a surprise that you can see people starting to struggle with depression or even feel traumatized by their educational experiences or anxiety because they're in these fields and are totally unsupported or people don't want them there or people are ambivalent and 
the culture itself is literally a breeding ground for imposter syndrome, especially for the black community, that if you're not actually supported, then it's a breeding ground for everything because the the next step of this is feelings of failure, shame, and guilt and rejection. Because the other thing is in some of these higher level programs as you're moving it through is the consequence may be you may not get into school. You may not get into that grad school you wanted. You may not be able to finish your your research in the allotted time. You may not get enough grants for people to feel like you actually have value no matter how much money. I mean, how much how good your work is. You know, some folks don't want folks if they can't that if they don't do good grants. Right. Right. <laughs> They're like, I can have a research assistant. I don't need you. <laughs> I have this bachelor person fooling with this pipette and sticking this in the centrifuge. I don't necessarily need you for it. Um, is there are all these different places where there can be bumps that can just really be very difficult on not only people's self-esteem, but other mental health conditions. And then also can be just reactivate old trauma because a lot of these environments can be very traumatic. And, and honestly, I'm a huge fan of HBCUs and there, but everyone can't go to one. Every HBCU isn't good. Some people, they're, thing that's the best fit for them isn't an HBCU. And a lot of HBCUs are also colleges. So my college was phenomenal, but you aren't going to get a PhD from Spelman because it's a college. Right, right, right. right. You know, so there are certain things that, especially if you're in STEM, that at some point, even if you're someone that really enjoys the nurturing aspect of HBCU, you'll end up having to leave because there just isn't enough capability to educate everyone. So I, I, I'd like to say that it's amazing how when these roads become extremely resistant, mm-hmm. how they can negatively impact people's mental health. So to, to your point and in full disclosure, um, I, I do suffer from anxiety. And, um, and my mom will look at me and like, you are in one of the most high stress jobs ever for a woman who deals with anxiety. And, and I think, you know, I have learned and, and, and learned how to cope with it, especially with my, um, you know, this high stressful job. And one of the things I did, even when I was in graduate school and moving on is that's why I'm so much community involved. That takes my mind mm-hmm. off things. I'm not completely always engaging and thinking about my job, my lab, the, the bad research results I had, the experiment didn't work. I'm able to escape, but escape in a productive way. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I have to say, and this is how, you know, the Lord has just been blessed. I just published a paper. It just came out in um, nature biotechnology. Um, and we, and me and my colleague, um, Jim Skeet, we just published some work discussing the role of graduate students and undergraduate students giving back and about, and how it's been helping with their mental um, space, helping them with resiliency, helping them with wanting to come back. And, 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 and now we are definitely, you know, WashU, especially our, our director of the PhD programs, um, is really wanting to implement that in training. And so, you know, and, and that's kind of another where I, I came in. I have brought a lot of philanthropic work to, to, to the students to do. So we do science demonstrations. I have students help me with creating curriculum and things of that, but they're just giving back and they find it so rewarding. And, you know, and so, and, and I, and I've been lucky with the, with 
with um, with the MPHC and my role in Greek life is that the organizations that I've gotten to bring and and, and have WashU work and sponsor, these are all organizations that I've chosen that are led by D9 members because we have the same mindset. We want to mm-hmm. help to go back in and so and and they want to do a lot of stem work they want tutoring they want you know these kind of helps for these kids who don't necessarily have the resources and the other thing is they don't see students who look like them who are currently doing it who are currently in science who want to be doctors who want to be this who want to be that and so I, I do realize and, and value the importance of representation so we have learned and published on this that this helps philanthropic work, volunteering work, using your skills as scientists, getting you out of the lab, thinking about it in a little different context, helping someone else, helps in your performance, helps them want to do better. Where they're, they're, they're passing their calls more. They're, they're getting through their proposals. They're on track to staying on. And they're doing this as extra work. And they're still on track as someone who's not doing it. And so I just think that we have to be very cognizant of the, of the importance of giving back. It helped me tremendously at a university like WashU, a top R1 institution. You know, it's so competitive, but allowing me that time to give back and to recenter myself. So in terms of mental health, it absolutely is important. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Let me introduce you to Better Nation. Better Nation is the community of people that follow the Better with Dr. Erica podcast that are like you and want to be better, do better, and live better. By becoming a member of Better Nation, you also get to receive member-only bonus content to put you officially in the inner circle, show notes with timestamps so you don't have to search for your favorite moments, and some bonus free coaching tools. So visit joinbetternation.com. That's joinbetternation.com to become a VIP and be a part of Better Nation. Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. Since I'm not trying to keep Dr. Tracy here forever, we're going to transition into the speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Question number one. What are three of your favorite songs? Okay. So I'm a Brooklyn girl. Day I Die, Biggie Smalls, Juicy, but really anything from Ready to Die or Life After Death. Okay. All right. So, um, um, hot and groovy, militant. That's a calypso song. That's okay. My and um, best of me, Anthony Hamilton. Aww. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, what's one free thing that you do for yourself for self care? The one free, I do daily affirmations every day. Oh, I love it. Every day. Okay. <laughs> I need to get back to doing them in the mirror. I used to do them in the mirror. So that's free. <laughs> I know. And one of the reasons I even have this question is because there for a while people would talk self-care and they're like the spa and this big trip. And it's like, you don't have to spend a ton of money to do self-care, Mm-mm. you know, and, and there are some people that have been having the pandemic budget. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just keep it real. 
Next question. What's something about you that most people don't know, but you don't have to go into a skeleton closet? Uh, I think maybe I, I started college at 16. I was pretty young when I... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Tracy Hermanstein, also known as... The research Doogie Hauser. <laughs> and I wasn't the youngest. But I was <laughs> you can imagine I was not the youngest, but I'm I just trying to <laughs> I'm like I'm like sitting here like, oh Lord. Howard must have been an adventure. <laughs> it, it was so fun. It was so much fun. <laughs> I know. Y'all have cute sweatshirts. <laughs> All right. Last question is, what's something that has helped you get through the pandemic? um, I I will have to get back to uh, the the daily affirmations and the me time. Like I would, I I really now um, treasure my alone time, whether it's an hour with Tracy, whatever. I need that. I don't, I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to whatever. I just want to reconnect and ground myself. So I think the grounding is the important part. Yeah. I am down for all of that. <laughs> so the first thing I have to say is thank you, Dr. Tracy, for taking time out of your busy schedule and saving the world <laughs> to come out and hang out with myself and the listeners of Better Nation. I know there are a million things you could be doing. I appreciate that you chose to do some of those million things with me. I'm feeling all of the love. So where can people find you if they're interested in finding Dr. Tracy? Well, um, you can find me on Twitter called Ask the NeuroDiva. Um, Ask the NeuroDiva. I'm on Instagram, the NeuroDiva. And of course, if you Google my name, um, you can find me, Washu, Hermanstein, Wistel. I'll pop right up. Uh, it's W E. So you can find me in any of those um, mechanisms to reach out. I, I love to hear students who want to, you know, figure out their track, where they want to go and help them, you know, lead them, give them some advice. So I, I am open to any a conversation. Now, y'all, y'all just heard it. So if you're interested in going into STEM or you're in a, a another kind of extra grown up and you know some folks that are interested in going to STEM or going to grad school and need, need a little mentorship or ask some questions you just heard her volunteer I did <laughs> so you know don't don't be saying you don't know nobody because <laughs> you technically do now <laughs> Um, I realized we said so much that I didn't actually ask you about your final thoughts and takeaways do you have any final thoughts for the people's um, I think my final thought is I want to thank you for having this platform and allowing people to tell their truths. I think that um, being able to speak and, and be unapologetic about it is something that we don't have as often. So my final takeaway to you is just to thank you for your hospitality, um, for the questions that you've asked. They were pretty good and <laughs> the challenging thank you. conversation and, um, and, and your willingness to really invite me on to your show. You, you didn't have to. So thank you so much for that. So that will be my final takeaway. <laughs> Don't make me need to be like Tito, bring me a tissue. <laughs> like really though, Dr. Tracy. <laughs> Well, again, I just need to say thanks to Dr. Tracy for taking time out of her busy life and 
letting me encroach on the very end of the staycation. So I, I truly appreciate it. It means a lot. Um, I want to say thank you to all of you for listening. First is there were a million podcasts you could listen to literally, and you chose this one. So, hey, and the next is I want to give you a pat on the back because you know what? It's not just that you chose to listen to us. You chose to do something for yourself. You chose to carve out this little bit of time just for you. So I want to say congratulations for showing up because you did. I got a few little things before we get you out of here. First thing after I say thank you is follow or subscribe. That way you'll get notified if we drop bonuses, no matter what's going on, you're going to know when the new episodes come out. You're not going to want to miss them because we are on a roll. I have some really great stuff coming for you. The next thing is if you enjoy it, please rate or review. It helps me get more content for you. Um, The next thing is, is share it. Share with your peeps. Share with people that even aren't your peeps. Share with your Uber driver, your Lyft driver, your teacher, your friends, your family, Pookie from down the street. Just share the podcast because we have lots of good information. I don't want it to be the best kept secret. The next thing is I want you to give yourself a little love. Take your left hand, put it on your right arm. Take your right hand, put it on your left arm and give yourself a big old squeeze because you deserve some love. I know we're all supposed to still be physically distanced because COVID is still going on. I know people like to act like there is no COVID. Feel free to do it. Feel free to act. There's no COVID at your own risk. I still believe there's COVID. I've seen it. (laughs) So please continue to take care of yourselves. I want us to be able to sit up a year or two from now, be able to chat and giggle and, and discuss all of the lessons we learned and all the growth we had in all of these challenging times. I don't have time to go through everything that is challenging at this moment because there is so much chaos in the world right now, but I hope this is a safe space for you to land. So until next time, have a better day. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now, don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible, but I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.